0: This show is part of the Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome gather round the fireside and listen to a tale Of yon Macool, Cool Cullen, cool Deardra, the Sorrows, Grain, your wail From giants right down to fairies, both the drooping and solitary And those who are sometimes scary Anything goes by the fireside yeah. Fireside, the book fireside, the marrow fireside. Kings and queens, fat and heroes, don't you run from the fun? There's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. O'Lehann. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 223 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a tale that mixes the worlds of mythology, history and religion. This is the tale of Brendan the Navigator. But first, a big welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your first episode and you enjoy this, why don't you head all right back to the very beginning, four and a half years and over 220 episodes ago, see what we've been building up to over the journey of Fireside. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. All of the usual ways you can support the podcast are by following me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Email me, me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the places to get in touch with me, to send a message. Um, I love hearing from from all of you. And um, that's also the place where you can share this on your story, share this with your friends, continue to grow the podcast and to grow the name of Fireside. And if you want to support me in a more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, A Neo Myth of Home, um, my poetry collection that is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. Uh, we can ship the paperback all around the world. I sent uh, a, couple off to, a couple more off to the U.S. today um, and it's still one of if not my favorite things in the world to send garden see off around the world uh, to new homes so i hope those who have bought it and thank you again for those who have if you have enjoyed it or are enjoying it or will enjoy it when you get around to reading it uh, so thank you very much and the final way you can of course support the podcast is by joining headstuff plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month although you can pay more if you like you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And those are the cells out of the way. Um, before we get down to the story, I am have to say I'm in good spirits today. Um, uh, things are finally, finally, the end is in sight for things calming down um, in terms of my work at the moment, which is great. I've had a, a great summer playing music and guiding around, but I really did overdo it um, and it was starting to really affect both my physical and mental health um, but I've managed to pull back on some of my gigs um, and should hopefully get more of my schedule back because it just was consuming my entire life um, which I was fine to let it do uh, for a few months um, but when when the podcast and my book that I'm finishing off were suffering as well that was when it became clear I needed to pull back even now as i record this podcast as as it has i'm sure been for the last few months while i've been playing so much music at night um my voice isn't in the place that i would like it to be uh, and that can put me off recording as well um never mind getting the the time and the discipline back to to keep writing and recording and editing each episode um but like if i've so i had two gigs last night for example and Three on Saturday, three on Sunday, Uh, I have two tonight now after I finish this. Um, And so all the time I'm kind of going, oh, I'll wait till I'm in better voice uh, to record the podcast. But there isn't really much, hasn't been really much opportunity for my voice to get better. So I just have to drill ahead and hope that it is okay and you are satisfied with the quality of my speaking voice. Um but other than that yes the the book the the finishing touches of the book or the new draft are going along nicely um it has been quite a severe rewrite um but i am quite happy with the new direction it is taking um and i'm certainly hoping to finish it completely over the next couple of months um i'm telling myself that more than you uh just to keep myself going um but the story we have on the podcast this week is Again, one of those stories that's always been in the back of my mind since starting this podcast. Uh, really, this was a tale and this is a person or a character that it was. I've been looking for a way to work in. But it is complicated territory because this is, again, this is a religious figure. And this is Saint Brendan, who was known as Brendan the Navigator. But especially after we did the story of Mel Doon a couple of weeks ago and we've had these voyage tales it was unavoidable to not talk about Brendan. As you will see, there are those who have listened to the episode of The Voyage of Doon, and I highly would recommend that if you haven't. There are a huge amount of parallels between the story of Brendan and the story of Mael Dune. And Brendan, whether you are religious or not, certainly was a real person and definitely did take voyages, whether they were quite the extent that they were, is open to significant debate, um, and we will explore some of those debates in the story and afterwards. Um, but as you will see, it is a real cross, cross-pollination cross of mythology and religion and history. And that makes it complex and and challenging to adapt. Um, but I'm actually really happy with, with where we went here and... Uh, This was a lot of fun to do, and I'm very happy with the finished product, so I hope you are as well. I won't talk about it anymore. We'll get down to the story. We'll chat more afterwards. But this is the story of Brendan the Navigator on Fireside. Brendan the Navigator. There has always been a strong belief in Ireland of a mysterious and mythical island off the west coast. This island has been called many names, and just exactly where it is, how to get there, and what it holds changes depending on the time, and the voyage, and the voyager. Most prominently, the island was said to be the other world, the land of the gods, the physical realm that could be visited even by mortals. Oisin, son of Fionmakul, bard, poet, and last survivor of the Fianna, visited the island for three years, which turned out to be 300 years in the mortal world. By this point, the island was known as Tir-Nanog, or the Land of Youth. There is also the legendary island of High Brazil, An ever moving island which only appears once every seven years, which can begin to disappear beneath your feet while you stand on its shores. High Brazil could also be said to be Tirmanol. But after the conversion of Ireland from a belief in the Tua de Danan to Christianity, this legendary island became known as the Isle of the Blessed, and soon it would be named for the man who would endeavour to discover it for himself. A sailor who would change our understanding of both myth and history. St. Brendan the Navigator. Fifty years after St. Patrick, a Kerry abbot named Brendan became the leader of over 3,000 monks. He was known as one of the Twelve Apostles of Ireland and became the patron saint of sailors and voyagers. And it is as a voyager, Brendan would become most famous. One day Brendan met a mysterious Scottish monk named Berinthius. The monk told Brendan that he himself had just returned from a voyage to the Isle of the Blessed. An island destined for saints, where life was perfect, it was perfect paradise. Berenthius compared it to the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. Brendan was devoted to God, but growing up on the southwest coast of Ireland could never escape his love for the sea and passion for sailing. Brendan decided he too would set out to discover the Isle of the Blessed. He would find the Garden of Eden. After selecting his crew of 14 monks with sufficient discipline, skill, and sea legs, Brendan fasted for 40 days and built a large wooden curva, fortifying it with leather. When the boat was ready, three more monks approached Brendan and begged him to join his crew. Brendan was skeptical. He had carefully selected his 13 crew members, and as a superstitious sailor, did not want to tempt fate. But the three monks continued to beg, and Brendan finally relented. He and his crew then set out from the west coast of Ireland, and the voyage of Brendan the Navigator began. The crew encountered many islands on their journey. They found an island full of giant sheep and lambs, where they procured enough food to last them on their journey. They sailed across a garden in the sea, where the greenery rose up from the waves, making their journey through slow and difficult. Brendan saw an island entirely of ice, with a white cloud all around it. Another island was of ice and fire, and the crew heard monstrous roars coming from its shores. On a number of smaller islands, Brendan and his crew met people, creatures, and demons. Some were hermits who had been shipwrecked, to accidentally or intentionally isolated themselves from the world. But on one island, they came across a young boy. Brendan's sympathy soon turned to distrust when he realized the boy had been possessed by a demon. Brendan successfully exorcised the demon, but not before the devil killed the three late additions to his crew. Brendan was proven right about his scepticism in bringing them aboard in the first place. There was an island with no people, but entirely populated by birds. Colorful birds of every conceivable size, unlike anything Brendan had seen in Ireland or anywhere else but the noise coming from the birds was the strangest of all. Once the crew landed and went ashore, they realized the birds had human voices. The birds claimed they had once been human themselves, but had lost their faith in God after losing a great battle, and God had transformed them into feathered fowl to sing his praises in solitude for all eternity. The voyagers did not see any land for over 40 days when Brendan looked behind and noticed they were being pursued by a giant fish. He ordered his sailor monks to row as fast as they could for fear the great fish would capsize them or worse. Brendan prayed for deliverance from the fish. When a fire-breathing sea monster emerged from the deep and slashed the great fish in three. The monster then returned to the unfathomable deep and Brendan and his monks fished the remains of the slain beast out of the sea and had more food to continue on their journey. There's always a bigger fish. And speaking of bigger fish... The crew landed on a seemingly uninhabited island. The terrain was strange. There were no sands, or stones, or hills, or grass. Just a big, great land of hard, leathery grey. The monks brought the sliced-up portions of the great fish ashore, and lit a fire to cook dinner. When the fire began to simmer, the land beneath the monks began to shake. It was no earthquake, the island was physically moving, slow at first, and then at greater and greater speeds. The island then began to sink, and Brendan and his monks barely made it back to their cura before drowning in the ocean. It was then Brendan realized the island was alive. The island was a giant sea monster known as Jasconius. He had been described as a huge whale or a gigantic turtle. Brendan may have called the monster Jasconius, but the Greeks may have called it Ouroboros, and the Norse would have called it Jormungandr. In other words, this monster may have been the world serpent who eternally attempts to consume its own tail. After narrowly escaping Jasconius, Brendan's color was consumed by darkness And not the darkness of night For this was not a darkness that lifted For forty days the monks did not see An inch in front of their noses They could have crashed, capsized Or been devoured alive But they didn't They maintained their faith And of course night is darkest before the dawn After forty days of night Brendan saw a light, a light brighter than midsummer's day, a light that should have been blinding, but the monks stared and sailed towards it. They found an island with every kind of terrain of grass, sand, mountains, sun, rain, snow, none of which contradicted each other. Each element and terrain had its locations and times of the day. It was unlike anything they could have imagined but they were in no doubt. This was paradise. This was Eden, Tirnanog, High Brazil. This was the island of the blessed. The crew remained on the island for 40 days, exploring, eating, and drinking. But soon they found a half of the island that was inaccessible to them a river of rocks and rapids that could not be crossed by even the most skilled of sailors. An angel appeared to Brendan and told him that this part of paradise could not be accessed until the rest of the world believed in it. The angel also said that the time had come for Brendan and his monks to return home. They could not stay in paradise themselves because it was more important that they tell their story to those back home, so that others may dream of the island too. Brendan left the Isle of the Blessed and returned home to Kerry, to pray and teach and sail and tell of his great voyage. But the Isle of the Blessed would forevermore be known as St. Brendan's Island. This is a story that weaves myth, religion and even history. While it may seem doubtful that a sixth-century monk could sail for seven years across the Atlantic in a 36-foot wooden boat wrapped in leather, the story of Brendan the Navigator has obsessed explorers for centuries. It was said by many that Brendan was the first European to reach North America. While many still believe this to be a legend, Paul H. Chapman, who had served as a fighter pilot during the Battle of the Atlantic in World War II, disagreed. Chapman became intimately familiar with the terrain of the Atlantic Islands from flying over them so many times. He noticed strong similarities between his own experiences and that described in the voyage of St. Brendan. And while he may not have encountered Jasconius... The island of giant sheep and lambs, for instance, was the Faroe Islands, which take their name from the Norse word for sheep. The garden in the ocean could have been the Sargasso Sea, known for its rich build-up of seaweed. The land of ice was Greenland, and the land of ice and fire was Iceland, with the roaring landscape stemming from its active volcanoes and geysers. In fact, when the Norse first discovered Iceland themselves, they thought that its explosive and unique landscape was proof that they had arrived in Valhalla. And what of the Curra? Well, in 1976, explorer Tim Severin built a replica of St. Brendan's Curra and sailed the Atlantic in the exact conditions, proving that it could be done. For many years, it was believed that Christopher Columbus was the first European to land in America. This was later disproven by the discovery that Leif Erikson and his Norse Vikings had landed across the Atlantic 500 years before Columbus. And if our story is to be believed, Brendan would have landed on the shores of America another 500 years before the Norse. Even in Columbus's time, Many maps contain drawings of St. Brendan's Island, and some historians say that Columbus himself visited Dingle, County Kerry, before setting off on his epic journey to learn more about how it could be done. Even Leif Erikson, who lived after the Norse invasion, colonisation and integration of Ireland, was the grandson of an Irish chieftain. He knew the Irish intimately, and when he landed in America... He claimed that he met people there who spoke with an Irish accent. So perhaps Brendan is a myth, Christian propaganda. or Perhaps he did ride on the back of a giant whale, did visit paradise, did discover America, and perhaps he never left. The End This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And there we have the tale of St. Brendan the Navigator on Fireside and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes. This is, there's so much here and we got to weave, got to weave so many different elements into this, which I was delighted about, because I've always loved this, um, this notion that Tirna, of Tirnanau and the other world and High Brazil and St. Brendan's Island all being quite interchangeable. Um, just this idea that there was a vague location off the West Coast where this island was and some believed it could be sailed to, some believe it couldn't. They all had different names. Now, they had different um, functions and purposes, you know, um, whether you believed it was Tirna the other world, High Brazil, or the Garden of Eden. Uh, but just this obsession with this island off the coast of this island, and how depending on the time, um, as in depending on whether it was pre-Christian or Christian or Norse or Norman or whatever the period was, what the belief in the island was and which island they believed it to be. Even Tirnanog, the story of Ushin in Tirnanog, um is probably much older than its literary sources, but is like the children of Lear, is actually considered a more recent myth. Um, so and that's why, for example, we would know the the land of the gods as the other world Eirinnog uh, is is a reference is a name that only crops up a couple of times certainly in in any of the stories I have had di- dealing with it because we have a story of Cú visiting um the the other world as well uh, in which it is not known as Tirnanog in that story. And so it is very very interesting that we to start off in a mythological place as we always will on fireside to start there, but then we get to to reality we have this real Christian Monk who wrote, uh, he wrote his own accounts. Um, he is a primary resource on his own story and we know he was a prolific sailor, a very accomplished voyager. Um, and of course, everything else is, is up for grabs about what did or didn't happen. Um, but it is astonishing that this has captivated the imaginations of so many writers and explorers and thinkers for so long, um, and I it was the favorite part of the research to discover these two books, um, by, um, well certainly the book by Paul H. Chapman, um, which I believe is called The Man Who Led Columbus to America, uh, and it was him that noticed that these vague descriptions. That Brendan had described that were still quite specific and so differing. So, whether it was the land of giant sheep or the land of fire and ice or the the garden in the sea, uh, garden sea, I did enjoy garden in the sea naturally for understandable reasons. Um, the fact that he noticed from from flying over the Atlantic so many times that he went, oh wait, no, that's that's the Faroe Islands, that's the Sargasso Sea, that's Iceland, that's Greenland. Um, And these would have been, in the 5th, 6th century, these would have been places no one in Ireland would have visited, but Bren accurately described them. And of course, there might have been other reasons. Maybe they did hear from differing accounts of people, and perhaps there were other explorers before of this time. But to have them all, to have said he sailed across the Atlantic, and to have described the islands and countries, as we now call them, in the Atlantic, so specifically, and with such detail, considering they contain such drastically different types of terrain and landscape, is ma- is madly interesting. And then we have Tim Severin, uh, who uh, did, in the 70s, did the same voyage. Like, built built a wooden currow with the same materials, used the same kind of hide or leather to to line it and sail the Atlantic um, to prove that it could be done and that if it could have been done in the 6th century. Um, So those were really, they were such a window into the story and even that astonishing detail that, uh, to bring us back to our exploration of the Norse, which we did a couple of years ago, and of the wonderful intermingling and intermarrying of the Norse and the Irish um Leif Erikson who was the um the the Norseman who was meant to be the first European or the European who was in uh North America even 500 years before Columbus um that account that and he who was the grandson of a Irish chieftain was living like after the huge huge um colonization and and building of ireland really like i mean the, the vikings gave ireland the name ireland uh era will always be the irish name but ireland is a norse word all our words for market and and uh, money and currency and they built all our towns and cities and married other and changed irish what it meant to be irish and irish blood forever and leif erikson was a grandson of one of these chieftains and so he would have known irish people and Irish accents of the time so intimately, uh, for him to describe meeting people in America with Irish accents in the 10th century AD, you know, some 800 years before the famine, before uh, the, the, the big mass exodus of Irish people and influx. When you think about the incredibly strong and storied um relationship between Ireland and America particularly um with the amount of Americans who claim Irish ancestry, I think it's it's about I think it's twenty-one or twenty-three US presidents of the forty-five um that have Irish ancestry, which is banana stuff. And the fact that this that there could have been Irish there for since the fifth sixth century is astonishing um and whether you put any credence into it or you believe it or you don't believe it uh, ultimately like there's this is such fascinating territory and again when i was approaching this i was trepidatious because um i don't like to step on toes when it comes to religion because like religion doesn't open itself religious stories don't open themselves up, up as much for interpretation um you know because you're then messing with other people's beliefs and all and I want to be a storyteller and adapt these and keep them alive but there is obviously no doubt uh, that you cannot explore Irish mythology without um talking about Christianity because it is ultimately, I've said there's a hundred times on the podcast, if not more, that it is the Christian monks who wrote these stories down and changed them. And our contemporary understanding of these tales is entirely down to Christianity. And we have been trying to distance ourselves from that. I try to de-Christianize the stories as much as possible. For example, with the Children of Lear, most of the versions of the story end with them being... With their conversion and their baptism, Uh, similar with Oisin and Tirnanog, St. Patrick baptizes him and converts him before he dies. Um, And we can naturally prove that they probably weren't what the pagan versions of these stories were. And we will never know what the pagan version stories of these are. Um, Because the Christian monks had a different agenda, both trying to demote the gods from gods to heroes, uh, to promote the belief in their own god. Um, But there is no doubt that the influence is there and they are intrinsically linked, particularly Irish mythology and Christianity. Um, There is no getting away from it. Um, So there is absolutely a reason to explore it and engage with it. And it was very, very fun to hang around and explore with St. Brendan for an episode. And so I hope you all enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts at all, if you have more stories about Brendan or anything. I should have said at the beginning, the reason I kind of first came across St. Brendan um, was when I was doing Celtic Nights in the U.S. We had a song called St. Brendan's Fair Isle in it. And it was... For 44 days we sailed 10 million miles. We sail for St. Brendan's Fair Isle. Fair Isle. We sail for St. Brendan's Fair Isle. And so I remember singing that song every night and I did a little piece of storytelling before it um, and always. So it's since then and that was, I was recording like the first 10 episodes of Fireside while I was on that US tour. So Brendan has been with me that long and it was great to finally hang out with him. Um, so as usual, follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, A New Myth of Home. Features all, this is this is the exact kind of stuff that was went into Garden Sea, a mix of mythology and history and religion. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode, you certainly would enjoy Garden Sea. Um, you can support me on Headset Plus for five euro a month or pay more if you like. Uh, I'll see you all, you'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside.